So this morning, we're going to look for the very last time in the book of Ruth. And I just got to tell you, uh, man, this book has been just so rich for me. And I hope it's been rich for you. And, and maybe you've understood some things about God and his forgiveness like you've never understood before. Uh, to where, where I really even, I, I hate to like end the series because uh, it's just been one of those series for me personally. And so, uh, so today... Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to end the service and uh, or end the series, not the service. It's not over yet. End <laughs> the series as we look at Ruth chapter four for the very la- for last time uh, through this series. So, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you haven't been with us, let me just kind of catch everybody up to date. Uh, Naomi left with her husband Elimelech, and they went to the from the land of compro- from the land of promise to the land of compromise. It was a ten years of difficulty. Her her two boys married Moabite women's in which the Jewish people were told uh, not to do that. And so now she has two Moabite uh, daughters-in-laws and uh, then her husband dies, her two sons die. And so it was 10 years of just one tragedy, one setback after another. And so, but then she hears that, that, God, has, that God had visited the people in and uh, in Bethlehem and provided them with food. It's the goodness of God that many times brings us out of the land of compromise back into the land of promise. And so Naomi and Ruth headed back to the land of promise. They were in need. They were in need of two things, which is real critical as we finish this up. They were in need of of family because they were widows um, and they needed someone to carry on their their family line. That's where protection came from, was was in marriage and was within family. So they're in need of family because they had walked away from all of their family, but they were also in need of of food. And so they're in need of two things. And so Naomi, remember, said, I left the land of promise full, and I've come back empty. Empty Empty-handed is a real translation from the Hebrew. I've come back empty-handed, and boy, I left pleasant, and I left lovely but I've come back bitter. And the Lord's hand has been against me these last 10 years. There's something about the land of of compromise when one consequence happens after another that sometimes if we're not careful, we feel like that God's hand is against us. And so she comes back and and God begins to do some things. And then last week when we left off, uh, Naomi took Ruth aside and said, Naomi, uh, Ruth, we got to find you a man. Remember that? And it says, we know there's an eligible bachelor. He's a redeemer of ours. His name is Boaz. You have noticed him. He has noticed you. And so Naomi comes up with a plan. And Ruth does something that was unheard of in their culture and in their times. She went to, uh, to Boaz, to the threshing floor, and they had this conversation, and she made her intentions known to Boaz and says, I desire, I desire you as a husband. I want you to pursue me in marriage, which is unheard of. She's a, she's a Moabite. She's a foreigner. She's a, she's a servant. He's the owner of the field. He's a man, of course. He's older than her. In their culture, a woman never proposed to a man. And so he looked at her and he says, uh, I'd like to redeem you. And we'll understand what that means in in just just a few minutes. And and I'd love to redeem you, but but I'm I'm a man of God and a man of integrity. And I I trust God and I trust his, his word and his scripture. And the scripture says in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy that there's a redeemer closer than me. There's a relative closer than me. There was, there was family, there was clan, which the Redeemer came out of, and then there was a tribe. And he's in our clan, he's a distant relative, but there's one closer than me. And I desire you for marriage, and if he redeems you, let him, so be it. If not, 
I'll redeem you. And so that's where we left off. And so Ruth went back to Naomi, reported this all to her. And so three principles this morning as we end this series in the book of Ruth. And the first one is this. The Lord and the Lord alone meets your deepest needs. You and I have to understand that as we deepen in God and we deepen in him and we understand him that so many times in life we look to people, right, to meet our deepest needs. Whether it's a husband, whether it's a wife, whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, whether it's a, a, a mom or a dad, whether it's a close friend, that when we look at scripture, we find that it's God and God alone who meets our deepest needs. Now, a lot of times we think that people meet our deepest needs, but we know this. No one can live up to our expectations. Uh, I mean, we're fallen. We're sinful. We're going to make mistakes. We're going we're gonna to fall short. And so when we understand that it's God and God alone who meets our deepest needs, something happens in our life. Watch this as we walk through this book. Ruth chapter 4 verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and he had sat down there. Now remember, Boaz had told Ruth, he had told Ruth, he says, there's a redeemer closer than I. If he will redeem you, so be it. If not, I will redeem it redeem you. So he's walking through this process. The city gate was the place where business was conducted in their culture. It would be like our, uh, maybe our courthouse today. It would be uh, a place where business was, was conducted. And this was a business transaction. So he says, so it says now Boaz had gone up to the gate and had sat down there and behold, like, wow, or shock in the Hebrew and behold the redeemer. Remember the redeemer that Boaz says there's a redeemer closer than I, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Now we've looked at this and we've talked about it in our culture. We may would say something like as luck would have it. It was Boaz's lucky day. He was in the right place at the right time, but there's no such thing as luck. There's no such thing as coincidence in the Christian life. God is sovereign. And God is in control of your life. And when you understand that God is the one who meets your deepest need, you don't always have to fight to be in the right place at the right time. You don't always have to fight and struggle to try to climb that ladder that you, you make this right connection and you make this right friend for your betterment. And for It's that a redeemer came by. So Boaz said... Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. Now, this is so strange that Boaz would call him friend. He was in Boaz's clan. Boaz is the one that obviously knew him because he told Ruth, there's a redeemer closer than I. Why would he just refer to him as friend? I mean, why, why wouldn't he call him by his name? Boaz obviously knew his name because the writer of Ruth wanted you to see the tension here. Wanted you to understand that this person is really unimportant to the story. This word friend is not even a, a, a close friend in the Hebrew. It's, it's a word that is so vague that you and I may use when, you know, you, you, you see someone and you know you should know their name and you have forgotten their name. And whether you say, hey, dude, hey, man, you know, or, you know, in Christian circles like I came out of, brother, you know, it, 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 here's the deal. Just where I came out of, just my background, Whenever someone put their arm around your shoulder and said, hey, brother, it wasn't going to end well. I mean, they were going to tell you something that you've done wrong or they're going to judge you or something like that. So this is a very vague term when he says that. And so the redeemer was a relative of Elimelech's. He was the one that could redeem. And so this was a, a, this was a system that was set up by God to provide for a family when a husband passed away early and there was no one there that could no longer 
provide for the family. In, in our culture, in our time, we have life insurance, we have investments, we, have, uh, we may have retirement, but we can set up systems, but not in their time. It was the clan's responsibility. It was a clan's obligation to provide for a family when a husband had passed away. Fact is, it comes out of Leviticus 25, verses 24 and 25. We'll read a little bit of that. The scripture says, and all in the country you possess, you shall allow a redemption of the land. So here, we, here's, so he says, so if your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, property, then the nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what the brother, what his brother has sold. See, in their day, land was everything. Land was the way that they made income. Land was the way that they provided for their family. I mean, this land was everything in their culture. So God had set up provisions. God had set up a way that the family, the land would stay in the family. We don't have time to read it, but in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it gives the instructions of what happens when, when there's a death of a husband and how someone redeems them and someone carries on the family name. Verse 2, he, so, so Boaz says, come and sit down. Verse 2. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and he said, sit down here. So they sat down. Now listen, everybody knows business is about ready to be conducted. Everybody knows that this, this agreement that these guys are about ready to make, the redeemer doesn't know what Boaz is going to tell him. He just knows that he says, sit down. And then all of a sudden he's, he gets the 10 elders. The 10 elders were witnesses to make it binding, to make it legal. Because in our day, this would be like a judge. This would be like a jury. This would be like a notary public sealing the deal. This is what you've agreed to. So he says the 10 elders sit down. And so they gathered around and, and, and they sat down. And so generally what would happen when this, when this takes place, people would gather around. Because people would want to want to witness this. It was before the days of Fox and, and ABC and NBC and all the news and, and things. I mean, they wanted to see it for themselves because they knew that they could enter into agreement that would affect their farms, affect their land, affect their family, their clan, their lives. So people would gather around. So more than likely, there was a large group of people around. Verse 3. Then he said to the Redeemer, then Boaz said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, all of a sudden, he's given Boaz, he's given the Redeemer information and said, you have first option at this, if you will. This is a total business deal. Boaz, obviously, as we walk through this, has, and he's planned it out. He knows exactly what he's saying. He, is, he starts out making an offer to the Redeemer that this man cannot refuse. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. Watch this, verse 4. This is what Boaz said. So I thought I would tell you, uh, tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. Can you imagine what's going on? Everybody's gathered around. What if Naomi and Ruth had slipped in to the back. They can't see because the elders are seated. Boaz, the redeemer, is seated. There's people gathered around them. What if they slipped into the back? Because remember, Ruth came home and told Naomi that there's a redeemer closer than Boaz. Boaz says that if he doesn't redeem us, the, the redeemer doesn't redeem us, he will. And I'm sure they wanted to find out what would happen. Can you imagine what was going through their mind? When Boaz says, if you desire to redeem it, redeem it. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me, 
that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. In other words, you're the closest redeemer. And I come after you. I'm next in line. And he said, I'll redeem it. I mean, for him, it's a no-brainer. For him, it's just, it's just extra land. It's more crops. It's more income, more food for his family. I mean, there is no risk, if you will, in this investment. Fact is, Naomi is past the childbearing years. He doesn't have to provide a family for her. He doesn't have to provide a child for her. It won't affect his inheritance. There's no financial obligation. For him, we would say it's all on the upside that this investment is a win-win, that there's no way that he can lose. Now listen, can you imagine what is going through Ruth's mind right now? Did he lie to me? He told me he desired to marry me. Why would he present it like that? I can't believe he said that. This may seem strange to you, but when I preach, there's two conversations going on in my mind. There's one, the conversation that I'm having with you. Actually, there's three conversations that go on in this room. The one that I'm having with you, there's a conversation that God has with me, and there's a conversation that you have with him. All that goes on. Last week in Ruth chapter 3, 18, Naomi's words to Ruth impacted my life so much. I mean, it was overwhelming to me when I read that verse to you because the wisdom that it had to play into this, watch this, verse three, chapter 3, verse 18. Naomi replied to Ruth when Ruth was a little concerned how it would turn out. She said, wait, my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out. You ever been in the midst of a crisis? You ever been in the midst of hurt and pain, whether it's health-wise, whether it's financially, whether it's with the economy, maybe it's a relationship that you're going through? Have you ever been in the midst of something that was so hurtful, so painful, that it rocked your entire world? And Someone needed to speak into your life and say, wait until you know how the matter turns out. Why is it with us? We feel like when we're in hurt and we're in pain, we feel like I know how the matter's going to turn out and it's not going to end well. You know when you and I lose hope? You know what gives us fear of the future? When we calculate the future without God involved. Man, I'm telling you, it wipes me out. Why is it that, that out of the flesh, that when we calculate the future, we never calculate in God answering one prayer. We never calculate God moving in that situation. And we come to the point that we don't wait. And we lose hope. And we're discouraged. Because we say, I know how it's going to turn out. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be a disaster. And God would tell you, just as he spoke into my life last week, wait, trust, until you know. 
I imagine Naomi had to turn to Ruth one more time and put her arm around Ruth and says, honey, wait. You don't know how the matter's going to turn out. Don't leave. I mean, probably she wanted to just say, I'm done. Just wait. Man, just wait. Watch this, verse 5. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also have to acquire Ruth. Not just Ruth, Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the, far, the foreigner, Ruth the servant, the Moabites who God told us not to intermingle with, right? The Moabites who we have all judged the widow of the dead in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Boaz says, I am so sorry I forgot to mention to you, Ruth, Ruth the Moabite, that you will have to acquire her. Oh, and let me, in case you don't know who Ruth, Ruth the Moabite is, she's a lot younger than Naomi. You're going to have to provide a family for her. It's a huge financial obligation. It's not a no-brainer now. I mean, to be a redeemer, it required three things. You had to have the rights to redeem, which he did. You have to have the resources to redeem, which he does. But you have to have the resolve. You have to have the desire. The resolve, a lot of times, is what keeps us from following God. The resolve, a lot of times, is what keeps us from following through with decisions that we have made. Verse 6, and the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. The cost is too great. The cost is too expensive. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. This is the moment in the chick flick that we have been waiting for. <laughs> this is when the music changes. This is when you get all those happy feelings. Women and children start crying. Men are looking at them like, I can't believe this. This doesn't happen in real life. What are you crying for? This is ridiculous. And so this is the moment of the film. Verse 7, a little bit ex explanation that they give. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. This is how we make it legally binding in their culture. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. He probably couldn't get his sandal off fast enough. I mean, he probably already had his sandal untied. His foot slipped out. It's under the table. He may have had it in his lap at that time. This is the point. Have you ever been in negotiations, whether it's to buy or sell a house, to buy or sell a car or whatever, and, uh, and you made that offer on a house, say, and you didn't think they would ever accept it, and they look across the table at you and say, done. You couldn't get the contract and the ink pen in their hand fast enough, right? I mean, because it was just a verbal. It's just a verbal agreement. It's not, it's, not, it's not binding yet until in our culture till they sign on the dotted line. Oh, in their culture, you accept the sandal of another. It's binding. Then watch this speech that Boaz gives. And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day 
that I have bought from the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Amalek, and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also, Ruth, the Moabite, the foreigner, the servant, the slave. I take everything in Ruth's past and I accept it. Every woman desires to be loved to, at this level by men. I'll take your past, I'll take your hurt, I'll take your pain, I'll accept you just as you are, without any judgment, without any condemnation. I mean, this is a huge deal for Boaz to say about Ruth. Watch this. The widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. Every woman desires for a man to love her to the level that he'll stick up for her in public. And she knows she's safe and secure and she's acceptable. There's nothing that she has to do to try to prove herself. It's that kind of love that Boaz had. And he said, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses of this day. This is the last speech in the book of Ruth. It's a beautiful picture of great redemption. It's, the, it's one redeeming another one. Please don't miss this. Ruth does not deserve any of this. She's a Moabite. She's a widow. She's a foreigner. She's a servant now engaged to the owner of the field. Ruth, in need of family, is being grafted into a family. The chosen ones. The sin of your past does not dispel hope of the future. We may never fully grasp that principle this side of heaven. The sin of your past, the sin of my past, does not dispel hope of the future. Naomi, uh, Ruth didn't deserve one thing. Watch this, verse 11. Then the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah had, had more kids than they could count. I mean, they were, the, they were like the biggest family at their synagogue. And they were all sons. Who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman. Not only will the Lord meet your deepest need if you allow him. The second thing is this, it is the Lord who provides for you. 
if we're not careful, especially in our culture, we believe we provide for ourselves. It's about our intelligence. It's about our salesmanship. It's about our hard work. And yeah, all that enters into that. But ultimately, ultimately, it is the Lord who provides for us. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. God provided. They gave credit to God. God is the one that provided. God is the one that gave her a son. God is the one that answered that prayer. So many times in the book of Ruth, we have seen God kind of in the background. He's, he's, he, many times he's not even mentioned. Two times we find he's in the forefront. Ruth, chapter 1, when he met their need of food. They were in need of two things. They were in need of food and they were in need of family. He answered that in Ruth, chapter 1. And it says, the Lord provided food for them. The Lord, your God, gives you the ability to make wealth. The Lord ultimately provides for you and you watch in this book that they're continually given credit to God and given glory and honor to him and he goes on in verse 14 then the Lord said to Naomi then the woman said to Naomi blessed be the Lord because it's the Lord who provides blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you as a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. To your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons. The number seven was a number for perfection. Having sons, carry on the family name. Naomi, Ruth, God has blessed you in ways you can't even imagine. Wait till you know how the matter turns out. Just wait. They're at a birthday party and they're giving credit to the Lord. Naomi's the one that said, I came back from the land of compromise empty-handed. Don't miss that word picture. I came back from the land of compromise, empty-handed. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. The one who had come back empty-handed is now just like any other grandmother in, in with her, with her grandchild in her lap and daring anyone to get him out of her hands. She is probably saying, don't call me bitter anymore. You call me overjoyed at what God has done in my life. I thought the hand of the Lord was against me and I was wrong. Verse 17, and the woman of the, of, the, of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. Uh, they named him Obed, and his, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David, 
Are you serious? The greatest king of their time, King David? Ruth was his grandmother? The Moabite? The servant? The slave? The foreigner? Not even an Israelite? Her grandson? Her grandson is the greatest king, the one that they said that he was a man after God's own heart. The sin of your past does not dispel hope of the future. Her grandson. And this is kind of in the movie when you think it's done. They're about ready to roll the credits. What possibly more could happen? Hang on. (laughs) Now these are the generations of Perez. And Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amimadad. Amimadad fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. There's a bigger story than just Naomi and Ruth. That God is redeeming a people group for himself. It's the picture of the Bible, all the way through the Bible. A redeemer has to have the rights, the resources, and the resolve. Jesus Christ is the one that redeems us. He has the rights. He has the resources. And I thank him that he has the resolve. God brings his people from death to life. Wait. Until how the matter turns out. We started this book together four weeks ago with three funerals. We end this book with a wedding and a birthday party. God brings people. God brings people from death to life. And God is sovereign and in control. And you can trust him in the good times. And you can trust him in the worst of times. And God brings people from bitterness, emptiness, loneliness to fulfillment, to happiness. Naomi is, don't call me bitter any longer. I am no longer empty handed because of what God has done in my life. Ruth chapter 1, Naomi's picture of her is empty and I've got nothing. At the end of the book, she's holding a baby. Wait. God brings people from despair to hope 
And this isn't the end. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. We don't even have time to look at it, but this is a genealogy of Jesus Christ. And one of the things you've got to understand about genealogies in the Bible was it, it, the family name followed through the man. So it's only the, the men that were named. Not in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Ruth the Moabite is named in his genealogy. Not because she earned it, not because she deserved it, not because she worked harder and was smarter than anyone else. That's what redemption is all about. The last thing is this, it is the Lord who pursues you. All the way through the book of Ruth, God pursued Naomi and God pursued Ruth. And that's where it's humbling for me. The same God that pursues and pursued Ruth and pursued Naomi pursues me and pursues you. Whether we're in the land of promise or whether we're in the land of compromise. He desires to have a relationship with us. Ruth's story is setback after setback after setback. And that God is sovereign over it all. That we can trust him in the setbacks of life. We can trust him in the hurts of life. We can trust him in the difficulties of life. Your life right now may look like Naomi and Ruth chapter 1. No hope. Discouraging. Do you know even in the midst of setback, God is plotting, God is planning for your good, for your good, And someone may say this morning, say, well, I understand it with Naomi. It wasn't really her sin that sent her into the land of compromise. It was the sin of a husband. So I understand that. But what about my sin? What if it was my actions, my decision to send me into the land of compromise? I'd point you to Ruth. I'd point you to Ruth. Ruth was not raised in a Christian home. She wasn't even raised in the right family. Ruth had everything against her. But because of the redemption, she was grafted into the family. The sin of your past does not dispel hope of your future. And Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. And that's why in Job chapter 19, in the, in the midst of Job's suffering, he said that I know my Redeemer lives. And I have been redeemed, and I've been bought back from death to life. And God desires, God desires for the redemption of every person here. And you may feel like that there's no hope for your future. You may be struggling with your past. You may be struggling with something in your life. And God desires to redeem you. Not because you deserve it, but because of his grace.
Would you let him redeem you this morning? Would you understand this morning that regardless of what you've walked through in your past, that you don't have to continue like that? 